steps forward. A chance for his second goal tonight. Wheel takes and delivers. Alex Wheel off of the bench to put the polish on this gem of a night. Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record covering Nashville SC. My name is not Wes Bowling. I am, in fact, Braden Gall from 440 Sports, of course, filling in for Wes Bowling, who is still uh, MIA. I, I, don't, I don't know where he is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he is, but I'll be filling in again today, trying my best to ups, up, uphold his very high work rate. And I am Tim Sullivan. I am the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com, a.k.a. Club and Country, the namesake of this podcast, where I've been covering Nashville SC on the internet longer than anyone. Special thanks, of course, to our wonderful friends at Moon Taxi for music and ESPN 94.9 with The Call. Tim, you heard it in the open. You're going to hear it throughout the course of the show. I got a little more pep in my step today. I was a little ranty last week on the show, a little frustrated by the performance against Miami. Not the case. Sunday evening at Nissan Stadium was all of the things, and I have all of the feels. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm... On this podcast, when it's Wes or also when it's you, I try to keep a bit of a level head. I, I don't want to get the positive out of perspective, but I also don't want to get the negative out of perspective either. Obviously, the Miami game was very disappointing. The D.C. game, very exciting. But um, I I've tried to mention that the lack of losses during that long uh, unbeaten streak to start the year didn't necessarily mean a lot. It was what the table said. And then the clunker against Miami, I reminded everyone that it happens to everyone and it's a long season. But uh, either way, when you blast a good team at Nissan Stadium, when you take down D.C. by a pretty overwhelming margin, I don't think there's any problem feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you, if you package in the entire product, right, obviously the rain was, was, not, was not ideal. But uh, although my daughters did love the rainbow, by the way, um, <laughs> the rain was not ideal. But when you package in the return of Walker Zimmerman, the record for, for Dax McCarty, you package in how entertaining the first half was, over 20,000 in attendance again reported. You start putting a whole picture together, and it just, it just created a fantastic evening for soccer fans uh, at Nissan Stadium. So we'll get more into their performance, of course, just a, a, an absolute delight of a match on Sunday night uh, against DC United. So of course, early shouts on the show today, some milestones for this Nashville SC team. I just alluded to and a reminder uh, of just how important Walker Zimmerman can be on both ends uh, of the pitch. Our guest today, you conducted the interview, Tim, with uh, Julia Poe of the Orlando Sentinel. She will help us get to know the 2021 edition of Orlando City SC. We will, of course, embrace consensus does poor road form matter if this team has the ability to dominate like they did on Sunday at home, still undefeated at home currently in 2021? And of course, our mailbag, uh, who should have taken the penalty? Is Daniel Rios back? We talked about it last week, Tim. So we'll get to that stuff coming up a little bit later on in the mailbag. And now Nashville, a long diagonal switch on the left side to Dan Lovitz. Room to operate. Taps forward to Hani Mukhtar on his horse close to the end line. Mukhtar curls in the cross. Sapong! Header! Goal! Spectacular goal from Nashville Soccer Club! An extravagant team goal! A glorious constellation of passes from the boys in gold. There is, of course, no place like home. And so, so after a clunker against Miami, Nashville SC dominated a very good DC United team at Nissan Stadium. And, of course, we had to put a CJ Sapong highlight in there, Tim. Of course we did. 
Yeah, of course, it's funny. The DC native uh, seems to have a special, a special place in his heart for scoring against the hometown team. But the ups and downs of an MLS season are incredible. Uh, you and I both come from a college football background where every game feels like it's life or death. Uh, one loss can put you out of the playoff. Uh, two losses can put you out of conference title contention. But in soccer, you ride the wave a little bit. Nashville certainly provided a little bit of a crest on Sunday evening after the previous Sunday's uh, ebb flow against Miami. No, I want to be a college football fan in soccer form. <laughs> and I want to overreact every single week. I want to overreact to the bad performance. And I'm going to overreact to the, the great performance. That's why you're on the show, Tim, is you keep it, <laughs> you keep it down the middle. Uh, I get to just overreact all the time. So that's why I'm flying high right now on this week's edition. Uh, talk to me again on Thursday morning. Maybe we'll have a different conversation. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see depending on when you're listening to this. Um, so let's get to some golden nuggets here. Of course, this was the first time in the club's professional history that two players shared a multi-goal game. That, of course, CJ Sapong and off the bench, Alex Mouille. Yeah, Sapong scored headers in the 14th and 31st minutes and for his effort was named to the MLS Team of the Week Finished second in MLS Player of the Week voting. Unfortunately, Seattle Sounders had an even more impressive win, winning 6-2 over Portland Timbers on Sunday evening, where Raul Ruiz Diaz was able to kind of outdo what CJ did a little bit. And then Alex Muehl bookended in the 80th and 87th minutes. He closed the game with his brace. And um, Nashville had previously only had five multi-goal games by a single player in MLS. Three from Hani Mukhtar, including one last year. One from Luke Hawkinson. And then one from Sapong against Cincinnati earlier this year. So for two guys to do it in the same game, which had never happened at the USL level even, um, is something that I think kind of indicates a lot of what you like to see about the way that this Nashville SC franchise is kind of progressing and, and finding its way as a team in MLS. And we'll talk more about this, but Hani Mukhtar playing with an incredible amount of confidence uh, the way he played on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, CJ Sapong, that was like his 138th header a, a goal <laughs> this, this, this season, which I think is an MLS record. I'm not sure if we need to check the books on that. Um, but the guy scored, what, like six goals in his last six starts, something like that. It's just uh, he's on an incredible tear right now. And, of course, you could forget the Luke Hawkinson uh, brace <laughs> as well. <laughs> an important uh, one, an important one. It, it was. A Alex Muil, of course, making Gary Smith look like a genius because he comes on with Brian Anunga, and as soon as they come on, he goes into the box and he he turns and, and puts one in the back of the net. Maybe the keeper wants to have that one back, but uh, still an excellent move by him. And uh, let's hear from the the two goal scorer on Sunday evening. I just think you have uh, you have a group that's 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 played together and got some uh, got a lot of good repetition together. And I think creating understanding and 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 kind of chemistry is something that you can't you can't just force it. And sometimes it takes games and it takes you know it takes time. And I think you're seeing a group now that, that's been together for a while and that start to really understand the way each other want to play and the way, you know, other guys want the ball and able to help each other. So I think part of that is chemistry. And I think another thing is, is you know, mentality. You know, I think this year we decided we said we wanted to be a little bit more going forward and uh, we've done that. So, you know, we have to keep coming and hopefully, you know, start to get a little bit more uh, clean sheets as well, because once you put those two things together, it's obviously a recipe for success. All right, we've seen a more expansive Nashville SC team this year, and that does mean more mistakes at the back. But in all honesty, I really don't have a lot of problem with the way it's played out. When we talk about wanting Nashville SC to get points in the table, and we talk about Nashville SC wanting to entertain the people of Nashville, uh, I think scoring five, regardless of how it happens, even if it means you give up two, is probably the way to go because this Nashville SC team is able to both win and really entertain people, I guess, for better or for worse at, at times early in the game on Sunday evening. But those are the those are the kind of two pieces of what this franchise is trying to find. And they found them both on Sunday evening. 
Yeah, I don't, I totally agree. I think you have to be holistic about growing the brand in the market. Mm -hmm. And certainly diehard soccer fans are going to focus on the three points, but there's also this other element of growing the brand and that, that has to include doing it in a fun way. And, and what's fun about watching this roster evolve under Mike Jacobs leadership is that you've seen this team, like if they're going to go up against a team like DC United, who, who, uh, you know, we talked about it last week, culture change under the new coaching staff, they're just going to go, right? <laughs> they're just mm-hmm. going to go. And if that, if that leaves them open to a 17 pass counterattack <laughs> with a big switch, then SC now has players to take advantage of that. And, and they maybe didn't have that at the beginning of last year. And so that's, what's fun to watch this, this roster evolve is they can kind of play how you want to play. If you want to play slow, they're great at that. If you want to go fast, they can do that too. And we've seen them put on a show scoring five goals, franchise record, of course, for a match. Golden nugget number two. And this could also also speak to how dominant they were because probably if Walker Zimmerman plays the entire game, maybe it's a 5-1 score, Tim. Uh, Nashville SC once again conceded a set-piece goal without Walker Zimmerman. Uh, opponents are up to six set-piece goals without him on the field this year. They scored one with him on the field, which is the weird – New York Red Bulls bouncing from their own defensive end, the free kick. I kind of don't really count that one as a true set piece goal. So when he's been on the pitch, which has been about half of the year at this point, opponents just don't have opportunities to score from set pieces and they don't score from set pieces. We saw during the first half Sunday evening that when he is not on the pitch, uh, maybe occasionally the guys who are stepping in for him are who are very good in other ways don't quite have that sort of aerial dominance. And that's part of what Walker Zimmerman brings. It's why he's the reigning defensive player of the year in this league. Maybe some of that is also because he gets it done on set pieces on the other end of the pitch where he's managed to score pretty regularly for this team too. But it's something that you want to have your best players on the pitch. And we see exactly what Walker Zimmerman brings in that other players maybe don't quite bring it the same way. And and clearly um, you look at him coming in with 30 minutes to play, right? Like you're in a, you Mm -hmm. have a one goal lead. It was a perfect situation to bring him back in and just sort of stabilize the back line there a little bit. And, and just seeing, seeing him jogging around in that pink, uh, <laughs> just seeing him jog around. I think everybody was, was uh, excited about getting him back. And, and again, just putting a bow on Sunday evening, it, you could outside of a little bit of moisture, you could not have asked for a more complete evening of entertainment as a fan. You, you had Dax McCarty again, 400 games in MLS, only six players to do that as a captain gets a standing ovation coming off the field. You had bench guys coming in and scoring. You, you had Daniel Rios getting some playing time, which we'll talk about in a second. Zimmerman's back, five goals in the first half. Like the whole thing, Tim, it was just- It's a, it's a vibe, right? Yes, it's all the vibes, man. All the feels from Sunday night, uh, a ton of fun. And it's why soccer is in Music City, folks. <laughs> it's because it's awesome, uh, when it's, especially when it's like that. Coming up next, of course, Nashville SC welcomes Orlando City SC to Nissan Stadium for the first of three games between these teams in 2021. Uh, Tim, this is a critical week to collect points so far. They're plus three. Got to do it again against Orlando City. Yeah, it's very weird because these are kind of supposed to be rivalry teams the way MLS has set it up, but they haven't played yet more than halfway through the season, which means they have three games against each other over the final stretch of this year here. Um, Last year's results were split evenly, a win, a loss, and a draw for Nashville. 
the decision day win for NSC on uh, down in Orlando was what gave NSC seventh place in the West. Otherwise they would have finished down in eighth. So it was a pretty important game because it helps them uh, end up hosting that game against Miami, where we saw a pretty impressive blowout that really got this team rolling, even though they only won another game after that, it certainly provided positive momentum going into the off season and Orlando's uh, an important part of the Nashville SC story so far. Yeah, absolutely. So to to help educate all of Nashville SC fans on exactly what Orlando City SC is this year in 2021, again, we haven't seen him yet. We go down to the Orlando Sentinel, and Tim, you had a conversation with their reporter, Julia Poe. Julia Poe is the Orlando Sentinel's primary soccer writer, covering both Orlando City SC and the Orlando Pride, an alumna of the Philly Inquirer, Sports Illustrated, and most importantly, the University of Southern California. She has been on both coasts and now joins us on Club & Country. Julia, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Well, let's get right into it. Um, Obviously, Nashville SC and Orlando City are hopefully going to be considered rivals in the future. I think MLS would certainly like to see it that way. Um, But this is a club that national fans haven't seen yet this year. So um, they had the weekend off, but might have needed it to recover from the disappointment against Santos Laguna in the League's Cup. What went wrong in that game? I know it was just a one nothing game, but they did have the red card right at the very end there. What went wrong? And is it anything that, you know, kind of gives worry about the MLS uh, results? Or is it just kind of a League's Cup sort of situation? Yeah, definitely. It was one of those games where, um, you know, there have been times throughout the season that we've seen Orlando City really just have a flare up in finishing problems where, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in the first half, they were dominating the flow of play. They had more possession. They were even out shooting Santos for a good bit of possession, but they just weren't able to really capitalize on it. We saw both uh, Tasho Akadeli and Chris Mueller have really, really great chances in the first 20 minutes. They just couldn't get it in the net. And then the moment that Santos was able to capitalize it just really flipped the entire dynamic of that game so you know I haven't been too concerned by that with Orlando City this year this is a team that's only lost four games but as we get deeper in the stretch and as injuries become more of an issue especially at the striker position those scoreless games are becoming a little Mm -hmm. bit more of, of a red flag for this team definitely you mentioned those injuries at the striker position Daryl DK has been largely absent from the lineup since returning from the gold cup when is he expected to return full strength from that shoulder injury? Yeah, so Oscar Preha is notably not big on giving <laughs> timelines. Uh, he does not like to give an injury timeline because he does not like not being able to deliver on promises to fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daryl right now, I have not seen him back at training yet. He will okay. not be playing against Nashville. Um, he's currently carrying that shoulder injury that national team fans might have seen seen him mm-hmm. pick up in the gold cup and he's also got some tendinitis so it's, it's going to be a little bit the man's been running hard for a year now so <laughs> I think I think this rest is coming at a good time but fans are definitely desperate to see him back yeah I think Nashville fans will be happy to not uh, get the mummy celebration put on him again like he gave him last year in the first game in Orlando but there are two other young Americans that I think people are really excited about Benji Michelle and, and Chris Mueller especially in the attack, they've complimented Luis Nani, a guy that I think a lot of people know about. What is kind of the distribution of responsibilities there when Orlando's at its best? Is it is it Nani on free kicks and then mostly providing service? Or is, is it um, Mueller providing service? Who's doing the finishing and who's doing the serving? I mean, recently, Nani has just been doing it all. He's mm-hmm. assisting, he's scoring, especially earlier in the year when Mauricio Pereira was in and out a little bit. He was really being asked to do a really large load of 
that attacking presence. And now we're starting to see Chris and Benji get in and, and carry that a little bit more, especially with Benji. You'll see him more on the goal scoring side, but he has been very effective in getting some assists in recently. So mm-hmm. they're trying to really balance that. They want all of their wingers. I think Sylvester Vanderwater is another to keep an eye on at that position. They really want their wingers to be interchangeable and to mm-hmm. therefore be taking a little bit more of an even level of that burden. Uh, but recently, Nani has been having to pull out just goal and assist after after one another. Um, and that consistency is great. But again, I think that this team needs to figure out what to do when and if you know that reasonably dries up, whether he needs rotation or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mueller and also DK kind of point to maybe one of the things that's been a little less positive for Orlando lately, which is not really wanting to sell their guys that uh, have opportunities overseas. And it's something that I think Oscar was known for at his previous stops too. Is that something that comes from the head coach? And is it something that as some of these young guys want the opportunities to go overseas and stay there, it might affect morale? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it that way. I, mm-hmm. I don't think Oscar ever wants to let any of these young guys go because, I mean, who would want to yeah. let Daryl? He likes having go? good I mean, players, believe it or not, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And even just as people, I mean, they're both mm-hmm. just extremely coachable young players, and that just gets Oscar going in terms of uh, excitement working with young guys like that. Um, and so I think more of it, those are such different situations. I mean, Daryl has been on kind of the market, so to speak, for a mm-hmm. while. And the bites that they were getting earlier in the year have not necessarily continued throughout uh, kind of the, the gut of the season. And then with Chris, I mean, he signed his pre-contract. And I know that there were reports and rumors that he was trying to go early, but we were not hearing a ton of mm-hmm. that from over on this side. And at one point, Sky Sports just like pulled a report about that out of the air on live television because they needed to fill time. So <laughs> I, I don't think that it's necessarily been a huge issue. And, you know, when he talks about the future of young players like Andres Perea, for instance, mm-hmm. when he talks about the future of them, he's always talking about knowing that eventually they're going to go to Europe. Eventually they're going to move on. So, yeah, I, I don't think that that necessarily is as fraught of a situation as sometimes it gets characterized on like the international level. Mm -hmm. And then I guess from another perspective, Oscar obviously turned this team around very quickly. He's a guy who's known as a a strong locker room coach, all those sorts of things. Is it just that his players really like him and they want to excel for him? Is it something tactically that he's done to really help OCSC become a completely different team in the past two years than they had been historically? Yeah, I think it's been a combination of things. I think that first having the infrastructure of Ricardo Moreira and Luis Muzi getting in the correct personnel Mm -hmm. has been really necessary this team has gone from having a lot of swings and misses on players to only having, you know, maybe one or two a season with players mm-hmm. that just don't work out in certain positions. And with Oscar, it's a combination of he's really, really good at creating confidence in players, which is so important. They just feel like they have the freedom to work within what actually is a very disciplined system. He's very, very hard, specifically on his midfielders, but really on the entire defensive unit. And because of that, I think that Orlando City has been able to kind of become one of those teams that maybe isn't always flashy. I mean, Nani's creating a lot of the flash, but they have a really, really regimented idea of how they want to defend and how they want to lock things down. When you've got guys like Pedro Galese and Antonio Carlos, it makes it that much easier to just keep guys at a goal. You mentioned uh, the octopus there. What is Petro Galese's status? I know he was injured. Um, I believe it was against NYCFC. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he's returned for MLS play yet. What is his status? Is he expected to play in Nissan Stadium this week? 
No, he will not be uh, playing in Nashville. I have not personally seen him back at a training Mm -hmm. yet. Um, He's been working through that lower body injury and some of the early estimates that uh, some of the Peruvian press were saying was that he'd still have a couple more weeks to go. But like I said, I have not seen him out doing anything more than like foot ladders basically since, Mm -hmm. since that injury. So what has the backup keeper situation been like with him unavailable? Yeah, so it's been interesting. Uh, Mason Stajdahar has been the main player that has been getting the most uh, the most minutes, or really the only minutes since then. Uh, he's a homegrown player that was signed mm-hmm. uh, six years ago and just got his first uh, his first games in goal for the first team uh, with Pedro's injury. Uh, he's had some tough games to face. Um, had some bangers scored against him right off the bat. Uh, one of those was courtesy of Joseph Martinez, I believe. And, um, so, you know, it's, it, it's always tough to be thrown in like that. The other backup situation that they have is Adam Grinless, who was a player that used to play for Orlando city was waived and then re-signed this year. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of, I'd still say a goalkeeper battle, but Mason has definitely been the, the main player, especially since Adam is still coming back from an ACL, uh, recovery. Yeah, that'd be Adam Grinwis of my beloved Michigan Wolverines in the, in the very distant past. But uh, um, going forward um, to this weekend or to this midweek, I guess, um, you mentioned that OCSE has only lost uh, four times this year, five times this year, whatever it is. Uh, I believe three of those have been on the road. Is it just a matter of because it's hard to win on the road in MLS or is there something that that has kind of been a specific hump for them to get over on the road? Yeah, it was interesting. At the start of the season, they were actually extremely good on the road. Mm-hmm. And last year, they were ex- they were very, very good on the road. Yeah. Um, this year, something that I've noticed just strange about the timing of some of their road games is that it's come fallen at an interval when they decided to go into a rotation lineup and to travel, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of their backup players and maybe leave Nani or Mauricio or someone like that at home. So they had some of those road game thumpings like against New York and against Chicago mm-hmm. that were you know, pretty, pretty detrimental just in terms of uh, emotional losses. And I think that that timing has been a little bit odd, but I do think that we've noticed that they're not always traveling um, their strongest lineups to some right. of their longer games. And that, you know, they started the year with a very good road game against Sporting Kansas City. That was a huge catalyst for kind of their streak to start the year. Um, but it has fallen off a little bit recently recently i think they've also just been struggling with rotation and when you're looking at trying to keep guys healthy it's like okay are we going to take them on a plane and make Mm -hmm. them you know do that if we're still trying to recover them yeah so i guess the weekend off will will really help in that regard then what will it take for ocsc to get the win at nashville this wednesday what what are the sort of things that um, they they really are going to kind of lean on as they head to nashville well, you got to slow down that offense i mean geez (laughs) what are they feeding them i it's it's especially with that last game that was kind of when I was when we were talking with Oscar and some of the players Mm -hmm. this morning that was a real focus was seeing how when that Nashville attack gets going it really is so dangerous and so especially for an Orlando City defense that has been struggling getting shutouts and struggling with some of their uh you know some players getting injured I think that that's got to be the focus they're trying to get back to a level of defensive discipline that they had in the first few months of the season and really haven't seen since and I think this is one of those weeks where they need to start doing that because you're playing some of these teams that are getting really hot, like Nashville, like Chicago, like Atlanta, that can really get going and hurt you if you if you give them enough openings. All right. She is the Orlando City SC and Orlando Pride beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel. You can find her work at OrlandoSentinel.com and you can find her on Twitter at ByJuliaPoe. Julia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
That was Julia Poe of the Orlando Sentinel covering Orlando City SC. Always love talking with folks from around the MLS world, Tim. And like I said at the start, this is a big one on Wednesday night. Yeah, and I was pretty surprised. Obviously, I think most Nashville SC fans have some sort of idea that Orlando City isn't at 100%. They saw Daryl DK get hurt in the Gold Cup, but... I'm seeing that they're not going to be with some of their key players. It's something that we wouldn't have known without a good conversation with Julia. And thank you to her for that information for our, for our listeners. And I'm looking forward to a pretty impressive uh, Orlando city team that might not have all of its pieces on Wednesday night. Yeah. Should be a big one. And three more points are huge for Nashville SC. All right. Let's embrace some consensus here on the program. Does Nashville SC need to perform better on the road? If they're going to continue to excel at home, you heard of course on the broadcast, uh, Tim, the guy's talking about targeting a point total, right? Getting to, mm-hmm. I think it was 45 points. And some of those are going to have to come yeah. on the road. Um, so again, the question is, do they need to be better on the road if they're going to continue to excel at home? Yeah, it's because they have to be flawless basically at home. If they don't do a little bit better on the road, I think on um, the road form has to improve because there are only five home games left. This is a team that had a front loaded home schedule and even winning all five of those games, which isn't likely to happen. Certainly you would prefer it, but somebody's going to come into Nissan stadium and at least steal a draw, I would imagine. So that would still see Nashville only finish with 46 points. So the current road form has seen them earn some draws. So there are more points to be won there. So there's a little bit of wiggle room, but long story short, if you steal a win or two away from Nissan stadium, it means there's not pressure to be perfect when you return to music city, when you have the home field advantage that you're so used to having. So I think obviously we'll see this Wednesday, whether or not Nashville kind of holds serve a little bit, but if they can get one of those service breaks next time they go on the road, it would really help them kind of feel much more comfortable going into the playoffs and and knowing that they'll be participating in the postseason. I mean, let's just, how many do you think they need Two. if you get two wins, two results on the road, and and then you quote unquote hold hold serve at home, is that, Mm -hmm. is that good enough to put you in a pretty safe position? I don't know if that gets you to home, field but is that is that good enough yeah i think i think more than more than targeting wins you really have to look at how many points you get if you can go on the road and draw a team like new england that's awesome if you continue to do that and you steal just a couple wins that's a different question if you go and get four wins but lose the rest of the games that's probably fine too it's about the point total i i think you have to take into account a guaranteed win against fc cincinnati if you if you are the team that you think you are (laughs) <laughs> probably yeah, I, it's it's fair probably no, a guaranteed win against um, Chicago Fire if you are the team that you think you are and beyond that it's if you can get mostly draws and even if you can steal another win or two you'll be feeling really good as long as the home form doesn't dip yep I, I asked that sort of as if they can maintain their current form mm-hmm. at home and mm-hmm. on the road how many do you need to, to grab and I think two I, two feels like the number if you yeah yeah two, your, two, your two feels like the number to to continue it and then step it up that next level on the yep. road is, is exactly where I think you'd be. I agree. With the consen- we embra- em- embraced. <laughs> we are fully embraced. All right, let's head to the mailbag here. And uh, I, we talked about this last week, so I'm glad we got a question about this from Julio Salazar. Do you see Daniel Rios having a more permanent role as a sub with Jonder's struggles? Jonder Cadiz, of course, and yesterday's appearance, Sunday's appearance uh, came, came in and just like made stuff happen, Tim, like right away made stuff happen. Yeah, I've always been a huge Daniel Rios guy. It's been very disappointing that he's been unable to see his way under the field. But uh, the way this question is framed, I wouldn't specifically see it as a battle between those two guys for playing time. Obviously, we do expect CJ Sapong and we do expect Ake Loba to continue getting a ton of time up top. So there are limited minutes available for another striker to be on the pitch. But 
what Rios's emergence does really is make it so that there is more competition. It's not necessarily Rios takes job from Jonder. It's Rios takes minutes. There are fewer minutes available to distribute between the rest of the guys. So if he's fully healthy and fit, it makes it tougher for Cadiz. It makes it tougher for everybody who is not currently seeing time. And Cadiz, after a high profile miss against Miami just over a week ago, has a little bit of work to do in training, I think, before he's going to have his chance to, to re-earn it during live action. It wasn't on the, the 20 man, right, on Sunday? So, Correct. Um, that's, a, that's an issue there. And this, this will sort of lead us into our next question to some degree. But to me, this is about what does Rios show the coaching staff over the mm-hmm. last third of the season so that they can make a decision on Cadiz and then ha- does Rios grow into a bigger role next year, right? Is that, is that a fair yeah. way to, to look at it? And this kind of leads us into our second question from Chris Hall, who said, what would Mike Jacobs say about the value proposition of bringing on Cadiz permanently given what we've seen so far this season. And to me, this is about who do I think is, is number three behind Sapong and Loba potentially next season is Rios capable of growing into that role or do you spend on Cadiz? And right now I'm with you. I like Rios. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the value proposition, it does depend on the price. Um, Wes and I, uh, I think maybe even you and I have talked in the past about how Benfica may be incentivized or even forced to part ways with him cheaper than they want. So even if he's not performing at the level that you'd hope for a DP striker, there can still be a value play if the price is really, really cheap. But if the price isn't that deflated, I think we're seeing that Nashville can probably spend about $4 million in, in transfer fees in a wiser way, especially if a guy like Rios is available to say, hey, he's providing for for basically a senior league minimum, what Cadiz is is struggling to provide on a DP contract. So I think the the emergence of, of Rios and, and the lack of production from Cadiz makes it so it's less likely that it's a value play in the end. Yeah. And, and Rios's production's never really been the question. It's his availability, right? I mean, right. That's, that's always been the issue for Rios. So mm-hmm. uh, we shall see. Uh, Payancito, always good to hear from him. Should Akeloba have taken the PK to gain confidence of course, Daniel Rios feeding Alex Muil into the box. Muil takes it and, uh, of course, gets his brace in like seven minutes, of course. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, our good friend Tracy Edwards asks a similar question, which is Loba over Muil, who would have been better uh, to take the PK for the club's uh, future? Um, live, I definitely thought it should have been Loba. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I don't know that he necessarily lacks confidence, but certainly getting him off the mark for a new club is something that when you have invested so much money in this striker, when you are getting ready to invest a lot of playing time in this striker, you want him to enter it with confidence. I don't think that he necessarily lacks confidence, but you can certainly help pump him up a little bit. Um, that said, I, I actually really liked Wheels' uh, kind of selfishness in that situation. He's a guy who gets pretty visibly frustrated that people don't believe in his offensive ability. And for him to say, you know what, this is my moment. I won this penalty kick. I'm going to prove to everyone that I can score a goal. And uh, I guess 78% of the time or so they get scored from penalty kicks anyway, but certainly it was a situation where he said, I want to get mine. And there's a little bit of selfishness that maybe you wouldn't expect out of Muil, but it's good. I like to see it as I consider it an addition to his game and not necessarily a negative type of selfishness. Well, and I think there's, there, there's, there's a certain level of calcul- calculus that goes into that decision, right? Mm-hmm. But, it, but then you can also over calculus it as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, at one to, to your point, he earned it. He was the guy and the game was already a two goal deficit late in the match. Right. So it doesn't yeah. really matter who takes it at that point. If it's a tie game, do you, is there, is there a different set of calculus there for Gary Smith? Is, is Ake Loba the guy? Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, is there, yeah, it, it's situationally dependent to some degree, right? 
Yeah, I think uh, you're out here calculating second derivatives or something like that. <laughs> it's all <laughs> so about to the continue your calculus the tangent. Metaphor. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I think if it was a more high leverage situation, you might have seen a guy who uh, has a proven track record, whether that's Loba only in Mexico, obviously has not scored for this club just yet. But you want a guarantee in that situation when it is already a two goal lead. You feel a little bit less pressure and you say, all right, Alex, go prove to everyone that you can do this. Very, very interesting stuff. John Mueller uh, asked the question, how lazy is the media take that the opponent lost the game and not that Nashville <laughs> SC won it? That is from John. And I, listen, I am in the media and I am glowing about Nashville SC today <laughs> on the show. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm not impartial, but here I am. Yeah, I, I didn't actually see a ton of writing with that narrative in it. I'm, I trust John that it was out there, but Either way, it's not necessarily fair. Entering the game, John Kempen and Bill Hamid were basically neck and neck in terms of performance this year. Um, Hamid is allowing 103% of expected goals, which is to say he's like 3% below the average MLS keeper approximately. And Kempen has just been 3% worse than him. He's allowing 6% over the expected average of goals that are on target. So yes, last night we saw Kempen have obvious mistakes, but there's little reason to believe that there was something inherent to him that uh, made that happen because he and Hamid have been so similar this year. Um, and when you add in that Hamid has been in and out of the lineup with injury all year, it's not like this was his first game out. Uh, it's not like they're missing out on a guy that they've had to rely on all year. And then finally, the long and short of it is DC allowed 2.29 expected goals to Nashville <laughs> SC, which is a very good, a very good number for Nashville SC. It's nearly a full goal higher than their previous worst performance on the road. So yes, goalkeeping obviously turned 2.29 into five, but they hadn't given up 2.29 to anybody or even close to that. So Nashville SC's performance was already elite even before the goalkeeping made it look a little bit better. And just to, to finish this off, um, if you take the two sort of questionable goals that maybe mm -hmm. he should have saved off the books, it's still a 3-2 win. And <laughs> you needed two brilliant Brian saves off the goal uh -huh. line in the first 10 minutes. Like one of the more spectacular goal line clearances I've ever seen with a yeah. head in my life. And that happened like in the seventh minute. So that probably should have been a goal. So you, you, I don't think, how about this, John, stay out of DC United Twitter. Just, <laughs> well, I think, just I think DC United Twitter alone. Yeah. Okay. Well, while we're on the Briant topic, it's crazy. He scored a goal three minutes in and had two goal line clearances within the first seven minutes. Everybody's saying this guy is going to be player of the week in MLS. Ultimately Nashville scores five goals. He gives yeah. up the penalty to Moyle at the end of the game. Uh, kind of a tale of two halves, maybe a little bit for Frederick Briant. Yeah, no, no question. Um, John follows up with is Walker Zimmerman the most aerial dominant player in the league? If not, who would you say he is the, the reigning defensive player of the year? So, <laughs> I mean, we've talked about the set pieces, Tim. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, we talked about the set pieces in Golden Nuggets, but there's there's evidence that would point to it. Um, per FBref.com, which is a great place to look up soccer stats, uh, MLS and other leagues, he's won 78% of his aerial duels, which is only 11th in the league among guys with over 20 attempts at aerial duels. The Nashville fans can certainly point to contacts or anecdotal evidence, including his goals on offense and the goals prevented defensively, whether that's through set pieces or otherwise, that are even rosier for him. Um, you know, I think, is he the best aerial player in the league is kind of a question that cannot be answered. It's the sort of debate that is fun to have. Maybe we should have embraced consensus about this, but certainly <laughs> he's right up there. And I think 
uh, Nashville fans would not be out here like searching for somebody who is better than him to say the least. I, I, th- this, this drives me crazy in every sport. I don't care about rankings. If he's first or third, I just want Walker Zimmerman on the pitch. That's all. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, Absolutely. I, feel, I feel good about my chances. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's all I need to know there. All right. Outside in, of course, the European leagues starting this week, Tim, what are you watching? Yeah, I am watching so much of the U.S. youth national team and U.S. men's national team player pool plying their trade across the pond. I'm watching the heck out of every American that I can find who's playing for one of the big European teams, at least those that are on television. Shout out to uh, ESPN for picking up La Liga. I absolutely love the Spanish league. And um, unfortunately, Messi no longer plays in it. But one of his former one of his former teammates, Serginho Dest, had a nice performance over the weekend. And is going to be a, an important player for the U.S. men's national team playing for Barcelona. This, it's like an insane thing as somebody who's always been a Barcelona fan and never thought I would see an American playing for them. So that's the sort of stuff that I'm, I'm really watching. And uh, another quick shout out to the Scuffed podcast for, for guiding us through all that. You can find so much information on these guys, where to watch, all of that sort of stuff. Um, I absolutely love the Scuffed podcast. Shout out to Bells and, and Greg Velasquez who do a great job. And um, that's that's what I'm listening to as I'm watching a lot of this stuff too. Well, and I'll, and I'll kind of spin this back into becoming an MLS fan a little bit because we're going to get to MLS All-Star Weekend mm-hmm. in just, just a second. But I, I noticed this watching Nashville SC the last week or so, seeing Matt Turner in net for New England and watching Paul Areola deliver just a beautiful touch pass into the box that that made the game a one-goal game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it late in the first half on Sunday night. Those are guys that I just watched play for the U S men's national team. And if you're looking for a way, I know you mentioned DK is out for, for Orlando city, mm-hmm. but it, if there is a way to sort of uh, become a better MLS fan, watching matches, stopping on matches that I maybe not, maybe wouldn't check out because I'm just a, a diehard Nashville SC fan. And I haven't yet gotten to the point where I can sit down and you know, watch a New England DC match, even though that would be a pretty high level Eastern Conference match. I haven't gotten to that point yet. But if I know mm-hmm. I'm watching two or three potential men's national team prospects like Turner and Ariola that I've already seen and recognized, that is absolutely a way that's going to lure me into the game even deeper in the MLS levels. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the ways that I got into MLS before Nashville moved to this level was saying, okay, I care a lot about the U.S. men's national team. It is, it has always been the team that is in my heart, you know? And so being able to see, especially as the level of MLS rises and there are more guys who are um, staying in MLS because it's a, a league where a goalkeeper like Matt Turner can get good enough competition to continue being in the men's national team pool. He doesn't feel like he needs to leave MLS immediately that's going to help me really like MLS. And then seeing the guys who are good enough to leave, right. seeing a guy like Sam Vines play for Colorado Rapids over the first half of this year, and then leave on his European adventure after the gold cup, because he performed so well there. You're seeing guys who will eventually be maybe some of the globe's biggest stars. Well, just hearing that sentence makes me warms my heart as a, <laughs> cause I'm like you. I mean, the U S men's national team is always going to be my mm-hmm. first love period. Not, not even close. It mm-hmm. will always be there. And, uh, to actually see these guys going off into the world and, and growing their games to come back and be better players for our team and our country is just, or our club mm. and country, I should say, um, is, is even better. So uh, just, 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 a, just an observation. I, I enjoyed watching the DC match for many reasons, but I actually seeing Ariola play on that team actually made it even more enjoyable because I knew his game. I knew about who he was and I've rooted for him in the past. So mm-hmm. um, knowledge, knowledge, uh, breeds contentment i don't know what the right phrase is. Uh, <laughs> um all right mls all-star weekend I-, I love that they're doing 
Um, I love that the Mexico U.S. thing is is happening mm-hmm. and they're being more interwoven and intertwined. I think it's a great I think it's a great marketing strategy for both leagues, uh, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, Walker Zimmerman is Nashville's only All Star. Um, he was pretty excited when we asked him about it Sunday after the game. I'm kind of saying like, hey, I've I've been part of a roster that beat Mexico for some silverware this summer. Um, this is this is kind of the next step. It's not the national teams going up against each other, but it is kind of the step in a, a U.S. versus Mexico soccer rivalry. And I think uh, it's it's interesting because obviously some of the Mexican stars, Chicharito, Carlos Vela, are going to play for the MLS team versus the Liga MX team. So it's not necessarily country versus country, but it's a good format to, to really kind of help develop um, the rivalries between club teams too and, and help see yeah. that maybe soccer in the United States is, is improving to a level where um, maybe one day Liga MX will not win every single CONCACAF Champions League, for example, but it's definitely something that, that is, is showing progress in that regard. Well, and I, I, I love the skill stuff, man. Like the skill mm-hmm. stuff is, is so much. I'm so fun. glad they brought it back. Yeah. I know if you can hit the crossbar from midfield, I'm sorry. That's just insane. <laughs> like, like that's, that's just insane. All right. It's time for some final whistles here. Timmy, what you got for us, buddy? Yeah, my content recommendation this week is a book called This Love is Not for Cowards. It's by Robert Andrew Powell. It is a story about soccer or football, as they will call it there, in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, um, right across the border from uh, El Paso, Texas. And it's all that goes into the playing the beautiful game. And in one of the world's most dangerous cities, Ciudad Juarez is like pretty famously known for, for gang violence, for, for drug cartels running the city, essentially. And it's really interesting to read about kind of people who are persevering through what are some difficult circumstances to play the game. Yeah, Juarez, uh, the biggest... Maybe the biggest city in all of the Mexican trampoline story over the course of the, the mm-hmm. last few decades as far as organized crime. And, and uh, so, yeah, it, it, what, a, what an awesome recommendation there. I can't, uh, I can't wait to check that out. Not for Cowards, right, by Robert Andrew This Powell. love is not for cowards. Yeah, sorry, this love is not for cowards. Mm-hmm. It, you could also just title it Not for Cowards. That's <laughs> about Juarez as well. Uh, yeah. All right, what kind of bold predictions you got for Orlando? Yeah, I think Nashville once again manages Walker Zimmerman's minutes. They only played him for for just over 30 minutes on Sunday night, and they want to keep him healthy for the All-Star game. They want to keep him healthy for upcoming World Cup qualifiers, one of which is obviously in Nashville. But I think even in his limited time, he manages to bag the game-winning goal. I think he scores one from a set piece and, and leads Nashville to victory over OCSC. Oh, I like that. That's very bold. I enjoy that. I enjoy that. And it's, and it's I, very specific. I like to make them really specific. So, so if they right. don't come true, I can say, Oh yeah, it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, a, that's, there's better, there's, there's a lot worse ways to be in the media than, than, than to do that for sure. Uh, listen, I'm all in the fields, man. I really appreciate you guys letting me hang out for a couple of weeks in place of Wes. He will be back next week. He is far better at this than I am, but I really enjoy it. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying the team and it's way more fun to do this show after a 5-2 win that, that, that was as thrilling and as entertaining and as chock full of storylines as Sunday night's win over DC United was. Let's hope we get uh, three more, and I'll just openly cheer on the podcast now for, <laughs> for Nashville SC at this point. Uh, I got no problem there. So, Tim, always a pleasure working with you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, filling in for Wes while he's off on his adventures around around the around the North American continent. <laughs> yes, all, all over the North American continent. So that does it for us, of course. Uh, special thanks to Julia Poe as well for hanging out with us, giving us a preview for Orlando City as well. Special thanks to Moon Taxi. Special thanks to ESPN 94.9 Game 2. Make sure you check out the website, clubcountryusa.com. You can see all of Tim's work there, of course, every single day all over the interwebs. I do appreciate hanging out with you guys. I really do. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. Follow us all over the Twitters, at Club Country USA. Uh, you can follow me, at Braden Gall. 
do you want to follow Wes? I guess you can, I suppose. <laughs> you can follow him there as well. At 440 Sports as well. Uh, for Tim Sullivan, my name is Braden Gall. This has been the Club and Country Podcast on the 440 Sports Network.